welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for being the God of the word. And Lord, we look at this word this morning and we say, these are the words of our heavenly father and we want to learn them in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. Being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his father, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his word. And he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren and said, behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. Okay, now we've been having a wonderful time here as we've been delving into what God has written for us here in the book of Genesis in Genesis 37. And the chapter opened with Joseph here and this conflict This particular conflict we were introduced to here with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Who were those women, Bilhah and Zilpah? Yeah, they were maids. They were really, they were slaves. They were bondwomen of Jacob. These were the sons of the bondwomen who Leah and Rachel just used to make babies with Jacob so that they could count them as their own. And we can picture, therefore, and we have this in mind, uh, how these sons of Bilhah and Zilpah felt inferior, knowing that their father, Jacob, did not love their mothers. Rachel was the only woman that Jacob loved. So it was not easy for these sons of Zilpah and, and Bilhah, that, who were from the mothers not loved by Jacob, and were only used to make babies. But Joseph was different. Why? His mother was Rachel. His mother was the love of Jacob's life. 
So when these sons saw Joseph coming, they thought, well, here comes the son of the mother that our father really loved. And so when we think about that way, you can just feel all the envy, you can feel all the jealousy, you can feel all the hatred that these sons felt toward Joseph, knowing that their mothers were unloved bondwomen, slaves, while Joseph's mother was really the loved free woman. So they hated him. Oh, happy home. (laughs) Right, (laughs) And then we learned about the character of Joseph because when Joseph saw the evil that these these sons were engaged in, then Joseph, first of all, he would not join in. Instead, he really followed Psalm 1. You know, Joseph walked not in the counsel of the ungodly. He stood not in the way of sinners. He sat not in the seat of the scornful. And so that showed us something about the character of Joseph right off the bat. It shows us that Joseph has this keen sense of what's right and what's wrong. And it shows us that he has a, he has a resistance to sin, which is going to play out in his life when he gets into Potiphar's house. But instead, Joseph reported to his father their evil report, and that showed to us that Joseph had a, a strong loyalty to his father. So the picture we have here, verse 2, of him remaining pure, Joseph remaining pure, is a picture of what we should be like in the world is what the Lord Jesus Christ called salt in Matthew 5.13, when he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. So this means... You and I live in a sinful world, and God has called us to stay clean, like Joseph. And so, if a group of lost are up to no good, and a Christian comes into the group, there should be a chill in the air. There should be kind of a change of language. And what is that? That's a believer having a restraining influence, a restraining influence. If a Christian just says the full name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just says, the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's like bringing him, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the group. And he's the ultimate restrainer. And the atmosphere changes just from saying his name. So Joseph is salt. He remains pure. And he seeks to stop the evil that his brothers were up to. And he's hated for it. Now, two chapters ago, when we were studying here, in chapter 35, in verse 22, we saw how Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, had raped Bilhah, one of Jacob's wives. Oh, happy home. (laughs) Okay. And this always disturbed Jacob. And even on his deathbed, he blamed Reuben for raping his wife. So everyone in the family knew this, of course, and they were expecting for Jacob to take the rights of the firstborn Reuben away from him and give it to one of the brothers, So they're all like standing up saying, well, how about me, right? But none of the older brothers expected or thought that the second to youngest, Joseph, would get those birthrights. But when the brothers saw that he was wearing this robe that was made for him with all the sleeves that went down to the wrists, then they knew, oh, that's dad's intention. The robe told them that dad intended for Joseph to get Reuben's firstborn rights, So again, they hated Joseph. Happy home again, right? So this was just a replay of how Isaac took the firstborn rights of his older Esau and transferred them to the younger Jacob. And as a result, 
Esau hated Jacob for that. So as we look at this chapter, we're looking intimately into family affairs. We're looking into family affairs here. And it's family affairs of Jacob's home. And really, we don't see such a happy home. You know, and, 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 and as a matter of fact, we see a horrible home. We see a horrible home here that is filled with hatred, envy, anger, jealousy, treachery, abandonment, murder. Apart from that, it's a happy home. <laughs> it's a great place, you know. So really, this is very shocking to us. This is very shocking for us to see this is the family of God's people. This is God's people. And they're painted in such terrible, vivid colors. And it's the truthful portrayal of the people here. This is something. It is the truthful portrayal of the heroes of faith. And it impresses us with the faithful accuracy of the Bible. See, the Bible doesn't whitewash. The Bible doesn't romanticize. The Bible doesn't idealize its characters. The Bible doesn't whitewash and romanticize Abraham's family or the Jewish people. The Bible's truthful, and it paints the accurate picture of how persons really were. And so for us to see this, this, this horrible home, like I said, of the hatred and the envy and the anger and the jealousy and the treachery and the murder, and it's shocking. Why is it shocking to us? It's shocking because we consider we have to consider who this family is. It's not just any family. This family is Abraham's family. And Abraham's family, what God told, said about Abraham's family in Genesis 12, 3, when he first called them, he said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the family. This is the family that's going to bless all the families of the earth. <laughs> what? How can this be? I mean, we say, if this is the family that's going to bless all the families of the earth, then all the families in the earth are in deep trouble when you look at this. I mean, how could this be the family that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through? How could this be? This is the family in which so much of the world's history and hope is all wrapped up in. The hope of the world is resting on this family. And we see this family is just drenched in this hatred, anger, and envy, and jealousy, and rage, treachery, abandonment, and murder. I mean, this is a shock to us. And it makes us, it makes us just, well, we'd rather not read chapter 37 or several other chapters in the book of Genesis. And it makes it just a lot easier just to sort of romanticize about Abraham's people. So we need to see how. How are we to make sense of this? But, and if we're going to make sense of the fact that this family is going to bring blessing and hope to all the families and nations of the world, we got to know what the answer is. And the answer is God. That's it. Just God. God wants us to see in this family the real condition of the heart of every man, which is, as the Bible says, all have sinned. And God wants us to see in this family his work, his work, for, because if we're going to see what God wants us to see, then we have to see in this family God's compassionate concern to step in and stop all this sinfulness. And we gotta see in this family, we gotta see God's loving correction that breaks the stubborn will of sinners. And we gotta see in this family how it has this caring guidance that's gonna lead, lead sinners to repentance. And we're gonna see that. And we've got to see in this family how God's merciful forgiveness pardons 
and redeems sinners. This family is going to show us that. This family, we're going to see God's reliable faithfulness in keeping safe his redeemed. All right, now, this is the purpose here, is to see in this family what God's doing. God's going to do in this family exactly the same thing that he has designed the Bible to do for us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine to show what's right. For reproof, show what's not right. For correction, to get right. And instruction in righteousness, stay right. So for doctrine, God's gonna teach us through this family what's not right about how they treated Joseph. For reproof, God is gonna discipline this family for what they did that was not right to Joseph. And for correction, God's gonna show this family how they should get right with Joseph. And for instruction, God's gonna guide this family to stay right with Joseph. This is what we're gonna see in the remainder of the book of Genesis. This is it. So in our last study, we saw that as Joseph came onto the stage of God's history here, that he's hated. First thing comes to, to, he's just hated. His brothers hate him. And it's so striking that God's man, the savior of this family, is hated by the family. So this is not the first history of a brother hating a brother, right? What's the first history of a brother hating a brother? Cain and Abel, that's it. And why did Cain hate Abel? Why did Cain hate Abel? That's it, that's it. So what did Cain see that made him hate Abel? He saw that in Genesis 3, 4, the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. So when Cain saw that God respected Abel's offering more than Cain's, then Cain hated Abel. So you could take this verse here in Genesis 37, 4, and you could just repeat it. Uh, or you could just plug it into, I guess I should say, into the history of Cain and Abel. You know, you could say Genesis 37, 4. When Cain saw that God loved Abel's offering more than Cain's, then Cain hated Abel. So what we see in this chapter is that there's a repeat of this, and Joseph is actually the favorite of his father, and so therefore he's hated by his brothers. I mean, isn't that interesting? I mean, how could it be that Joseph is the favorite of his father Jacob, and yet he's hated by his brothers? I mean, what does that tell you about the brothers' relationship or how they feel toward their father Jacob? If the father loved Joseph and the brothers hated Joseph, what does that tell you about how the brothers felt toward their father? Now, to to answer this question, I'm gonna give you some statements that the Lord Jesus Christ made about himself and the father, and I want for you to tell me how this applies to Joseph's brothers and his father. Okay, so first, in John 5, 23, John 5, 23, the Lord said that all men should honor the son even as they honor the father, He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath who has sent him, which has sent him. All right, so question. So when the brothers did not honor Joseph, what were they also not honoring? Who were they also not honoring? Their father Jacob. Their father Jacob. That's right, they were dishonoring Jacob. Okay. John 15, 23. He that hateth me hateth my father also. So when the brothers hated Joseph, who were the brothers also hating? their father, Jacob. Okay, 
John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when the brothers saw Joseph, what did the brothers see about the father? They saw in Joseph their father as Israel. They saw what Jacob was after he had his encounter with God and his name was changed to Israel in Genesis 32. But okay, John 16, 27, John 16, 27. For the father himself loveth you because you've loved me and believed that I came out from God. So what would Jacob, their father, do if they loved Joseph? Let me read it again. The father himself loveth you because you loved me. Okay, what would Jacob, their father, have done if they had loved Joseph to the brothers? He would have loved them. He would have loved them. So this hatred of Joseph's brothers was just, it had implications for the brothers' relationship with their father. And this is really the first part of Joseph's life. I mean, this is the first part of Joseph's life. We can just, first part of Joseph's life, you can just put a big title on it that says humiliation. I mean, in, in Egypt, when Joseph was brought up from prison by Pharaoh, that's gonna start the second half of Joseph's life, which is exaltation. So two-part history, humiliation, exaltation. Humiliation, exaltation. That's the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our history as well. That's our course. Humiliation on earth, exaltation in heaven. So during the humiliation, Joseph will be tempted to ask, what's going on? What's going on? I'm supposed to have dominion, you know? And all this is happening to me. I'm getting put down, this humiliation, all this pain and suffering. What is that? Does God really know what he's doing? What he's gonna learn here is what we need to see is that God's a weaver. He's a weaver, and he weaves with one thread at a time. And he's just like a weaver. He sits silently, and he's working on his, his work there, and he's weaving, and, and, and he's got the whole pattern in his mind, and he's weaving with one thread at a time, and you can't see how it's all going to come out until it's finished, and, and don't bother him because he's working hard. That's a picture of what it means in Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It means that God's weaving with one thread at a time. And only when we're finished, we're gonna see that each thread was important in the whole thing. So this hatred of Joseph's brothers, it's just one thread. It's one thread in God's work. Now, we read now in verse five that Joseph dreamed a dream. Verse five, Joseph dreamed a dream. All right, this is the first dream of Joseph. And with this dream starts a career of dreams. Okay, he's gonna have a career of dreams and interpretation of dreams. It's the first dream, he tells his brother. And he has a second dream, he tells his brothers and his father. And he, a baker has a dream in prison in Egypt, he interprets that. Butler has a dream in prison, he interprets that dream. Pharaoh has a dream, he's troubled that no one can interpret the dreams. Pharaoh has a second dream, He's even more troubled that no one can interpret the dreams than enter Joseph who interprets both the dreams. So this is the first dream in Joseph's life career of dreams. And so we read here that Joseph dreamed a dream and he told his brethren. Now, when it says in this verse, he told his brethren, what's really important for us is to see how he told his brethren. 
Because there's several ways to do this. I mean, you know, one way is that Joseph could have told his brothers, says, well, what do you know, boys? <laughs> Looks like the tables are turning now. And I'm going to have you right under my thumb. So look at this, boys. You're going to be bowing down to me. What do you think about that, huh? Okay. <laughs> That's pride. He didn't tell the dream that way. He didn't go to his brothers with this pride. In fact, it's how Joseph told his brothers that shows the real beauty of Joseph. Joseph told this dream to his brothers. With It's charming the way he does it. It's the sweetness. It's the simplicity. There wasn't any pretense in how he told it. He he's not, you know, he doesn't have an ulterior motive. I'm going to rule over you. I'm going to tell you about this dream. But what you see here is just a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful spirit with Joseph. And you see how he does this first in verse 6 when he starts off and he says, Here, I pray you, this dream. See, when Joseph said to his brothers, Here, I pray you, you know, this dream, what do you think Joseph was thinking about his dream? He says, here, I pray you. What does he think about his dream? Okay, well, I don't know if he thought it was God-given, but he certainly thought it was important because he didn't say, God just showed me, you know. God told me. What are you going to say to that? Ever had somebody tell you that? Yeah. You know, God told me. <laughs> you want to argue? Argue with God. Okay, first point is that this was important. This was important to talk about. You know, I didn't just have a dream about sheep jumping over, you know. Uh, counting sheep. This is important. Second, this involves his brothers. I've got to tell my brothers. It involves his brothers. And third, it, he saw this going along with Clinton said here. He saw this is vital for his brothers to know. They got to know. They got to know. So he knew his dream was important. He knew that it was vital for his brothers to know. Now you keep this in mind. And just picture Joseph just running to his brothers out of breath. He goes, "I got something really important to tell you. You got to hear this." You know, it reminds me sometimes when I go down to our school in Takati, you know, a little four-year-old boy, you know, this, I remember this one four-year-old boy, he comes running up to me, I was all out of breath, and he starts telling me something he thinks is really important for me to hear, and his mind is racing faster than his mouth can get the words out, you know, and he's sitting there, he's telling me, hardly taking time to take a breath, and I'm listening, and I'm listening, but I can't understand a word he's saying because I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> But it's the way he's telling me. It's like the most vital information, which is probably something like, we're going to have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch. <laughs> you know? And you couldn't stop the little kid from telling me because he's so passionate about his message. That's what children do. They think something is really important for you to know, and they tell you with such excitement, such passion. That's a picture here we see here of Joseph as if he's all out of breath, and he, say, he said it to them, here, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. And then when Joseph tells them his dream, he doesn't put any commentary on it. He doesn't put any interpretation in it. He just reports the dream as he saw it, what he saw in his dream. It's a beautiful picture of Joseph's heart. I mean, when I see this, when we read this in verse 6, and he said unto them, here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. That's a wonderful picture about how we're to tell the gospel to the lost. Just the same way as verse 6 says. I mean, first, verse 6 shows Joseph's passion. And when we tell the gospel, it should be with a heart that's moved. Uh, 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. 